Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act at a time. This episode of The Kindness Project was recorded live on Facebook during lockdown, which explains why we're probably still talking about being stuck indoors. I hope you're enjoying your time outside to the fullest, and thanks for listening to The Kindness Project. This week on The Kindness Project, we talk about VE Day, technical difficulties, and we're joined by Vaz. Hello, 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 hello. Welcome to uh, this special VE Day version of the Kindness Project, take two. We had some technical issues at the start, didn't we? Your laptop decided it was reset time. Uh, Do you know what? What makes a laptop reset at the least appropriate time? I just don't know. Um, I genuinely don't know. But we are um, we are here. We are live. It's VE Day. Happy VE. Um, uh, <laughs> we are there. Happy VE Day to everybody watching. Yes. Hope you're doing well. Um, I am joined by a girl who is amazing. That's all I'm going to say this morning. It's Charlotte Dames. And I'm joined by a man who's just come back from his morning run. And tells me it's very lovely outside. It is lovely yeah. outside. That, that, that might be a two most boring intros ever. I had one. Oh, right, well, yeah, no, you can't done. remember. Yeah, we, we were... Because we I was just like... We were kiboshed with technical difficulties, I think. And we've also got an amazing guest today who's clearly the most patient lady in the planet because she came on at 9.30 and we just got her wrong. It's Vaz. Hi, Vaz. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Good morning to you both. Morning, morning, morning. Um, Right, a couple of things we want to talk about before we actually start the um, interviews and everything else we need to do. Um, First of all, I want to do the question of the podcast because I want to talk about that. Today's question of the podcast is... What's your favourite me- memory of a grandparent? Mm. Now, what would yours be, Charlotte? Um, hmm, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just, time. Just thinking, time. Just thinking it over. I mean, um, me and Nan did spend, like, a good couple of days just, like, chilling on the sofa, watching Criminal Minds, sympathising with the murderers, and okay. drinking tea. So, simp- sympathising with psychopaths. That's appropriate <laughs> for the kindest project. We made a joke. Yeah, I mean, oh, okay, yeah. fair enough. So, so just chilling with your nan, having a cup of tea. Yeah. Faz, what's your favourite memory of a grandparent? My favourite memory, I think, has to be of my nan, my mother's mother. Okay. Um, she was blind for much of her adult life. And, and I couldn't, for the life of me, work out how she managed to cook all the things she did uh, without having sight. Yeah. So, yeah, amazing food and, uh, yeah, sensory impairment. Amazing woman. How did, I, how did I know that your story was going to be related to food in some way, shape or form? <laughs> I'm so predictable. <laughs> We're going to be talking a lot about food in this show, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so so we'll, we'll, we'll do that. Um, I reckon I've got, I've got a few. And it's weird you say that because um, Cassie's mum, your nan, mm-hmm. has a visual impairment. And one of my favourite memories of um is going russell our esteemed producer slash editor um going round to um uh cassie's mum's house and um getting uh, uh, tins chucked at him and uh russell turning around and going 
That was a pretty accurate shot. How does she know where I am? <laughs> True story. But my my favourite my favourite memory I think of my granddad is he used to take me down to London quite a lot and um, and. Uh, 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 one of the things that we used to do is go to the National Gallery, yep. right? And when I was like Sophie's age, probably eight or nine, I used to love the, the National Gallery, not particularly for the art, but they had the biggest set of revolving doors. And he used to let me go around the revolving doors, run all the way through to the exit, and then just go around the revolving doors That's again. my favourite part of Ikea. <laughs> is it? <laughs> revolving doors. I haven't got a favourite part of Ikea. Um, okay, so um, that that's the question of the podcast. Do you want to let people know where they can get in okay, touch with Okay, so if you're currently watching this... Welcome to our Facebook page or uh, the watch party for uh, this video. But I'm sure there's some way you can just click on it and it will take you to our yeah. Facebook page. But if you're not currently watching this and you're listening to this back from... Th- this is probably from about three months ago now if you're listening to this. Yeah, we're podcast. still in lockdown, yeah. so I don't know when you're listening to it, but we are we are waiting for the confirmation yes. on what's going to happen. Um, then you just need to put the Kindness Predict podcast in the bar and it comes up. I've tested it several times from several accounts. Yeah. Twitter? Uh, at Ola Kindness. Uh, and our email is ola at thekindnessproject.co.uk. Our website is... www.thekindnessproject.co.uk um, and you can listen to um, all of the amazing uh, episodes are about... Uh, up to about 120 now, not sure about 120, yep. including um, the amazing original interview with, or the original couple of episodes with the interview with Vaz, and we're going to be catching up on Va- with Vaz today and, and finding out uh, what she's been up to. A few other things I want to mention, um, on one of last week's shows, we gave people an update in terms of our new viewers and listeners yes. of, uh, since we've been doing the Facebook Live. Um, now, not only are we have we been voted, and this was a few months ago, the seventeenth happiest podcast, podcast in, in the, the world. world. We are now, um, and this, and this, I've got something to say about this, Charlotte. I don't think we deserve this, right? Because we are number forty-two in uh, in, the, in the in the world. In philosophy podcasts. You haven't now, written UK there. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry, that's UK. That's UK. So we're at 42nd in the philosophy podcast in the UK. I'm really sorry. Socrates was a philosopher, right? Plato was a philosopher. Um, Voltaire was a philosopher. Chris and Charlotte, not philosophers. Thanks for the vote of confidence, though. We, we appreciate it. But... This is the this is the weirdest this thing. This is the icing on the this cake. This is the icing on the cake. We got an email from our esteemed editor and producer Russell, um, telling us we are now in the top podcast in the USA for comedy. <laughs> I mean, no, no, come on, people. Are we this, that funny? I don't know what this is, but this isn't comedy. This just isn't comedy. This is not Seinfeld's comedy. I don't know Peter Kay's comedy. <laughs> There's loads of comedians, but I'm glad you're enjoying it. And thanks for carrying on watching. The Greeks used to watch two people stand on the stage and insult each other for comedy. (laughs) That's pretty close to what (laughs) what this podcast is. So thank you for for watching and thank you for the new people who have tuned in since we've Mm -hmm. we've been going live. Um, Clearly... um, people like what we do um, and, uh, and, and we like it the weird thing is 
we've only got that rating since you've been doing that joke at the end. So may, maybe that's joke the turning point. Joke at the end. Point. I knew I forgot something this morning. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that's maybe the point. So thank you if you're watching and thanks for making us uh, un, unjustifiably one of the top comedy podcasts in America, apparently. That's a weird one. Um, Why well, we didn't get it in England? <laughs> so no. Maybe the, maybe the Americans like, like our quirky style. I don't know. It's a, it's a weird one. Um, and one other thing that I want to mention, uh, got up this morning, yep. get, I'm ready for my run, yep. um, and I get a um, notification from John Sharman, who decided to um, <coughs> excuse me, nominate me for something called the Three Egg Challenge. Never heard of it. No. It looks like it involves boiling two eggs, and then uh, having one egg that's not boiled and cracking one, it's like it's like egg rush and roulette that you've got to try and avoid the the boiled egg. So, so one in three chance. Yeah. So apparently, I'm giving that a go. We'll we'll, we'll see how that well, goes. Not too bad. Um, so thank you to uh, Steve for watching us, for Ricky for watching us, uh, Trev's watching us. Hi, dude. Um, uh, Nick's watching <laughs> no us, and Greg's watching us. Thanks for thanks for tuning in. Um, really appreciate it. Um, happy VE Day. Happy and VE I think, Day. I think for me it's really important to remember, even though times now are not great because we're going through something that's quite difficult um the uh, sacrifice that people made um all those years ago um i think you know we i think today's a, a day to think about gratitude and think yeah. about sort of why um why we live in a in a free country in a free society vaz how are you celebrating ve day are you doing anything nice special anything different <laughs> I think that I'm going to touch base with some friends and family and go for a nice long walk in the sunshine. Right. I think contemplation whilst walking is always a good thing. Mm -hmm. yeah, you know what? I think you're right. Uh, have you got some nice green space where you are? I have. I'm very lucky. I've got lots of green space. So I, I, I think maybe a, a couple of hours of very long walk uh, make up for the fact that I've done very little exercise for the week. But I, I make you right, Chris, in terms of celebrating everything that we do have um, based on the sacrifices of those who've gone before us. I think it's a, it's a very important time um, just to reflect to recollect and to celebrate. Yeah, and I think I think in terms of protecting our own mental health as well, gratitude is shown to be an important part of that. So so it's important to think about um, not only a challenging time we're going through, but also how lucky we are to have the freedoms we have. So thanks, Fez. I, I really appreciate you saying that. Feel free to carry on answering the question of the podcast. We've got some amazing answers so far, and um, and um, certainly there's a there's a nostalgic feel about today because of the like VE Day, and some of the. Um, some of the nostalgia that comes out um, is amazing. Now, Vance, I just want to talk to you because when we first met, Charlotte and I came over to Vauxhall Bridge, mm. and I've just got to share this story um, uh, with, our, with our listeners again, with our listeners and viewers. I 
I embarrassed myself because I thought I could handle a hot curry. Um, clearly, now I know I can't because there was these little red peppers that you warned me that were going to be really hot. I thought I'd try quite a lot, and he, he just um, doesn't listen. I just I, I should have listened, shouldn't I? And 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 do, do most people heed the warning when it comes to curries, or do they do they think they are Charlie Big Bananas? Charlie. <laughs> Right. Um, so, so what? Number one is is the question one is curry strength the acquired taste, and do people normally go too hot too quick? Um, I, we we actually make our curries very very mild, and the Scotch bonnet chutney we placed on the side did actually come with a health warning, um, and we do warn people before they they go to it. Um, uh, but unfortunately, uh, a lot of people think they can they can handle it, and then suddenly it becomes very difficult quite quickly. Yeah, I don't um, think I've been. So the heat rises very quickly, and then it's very very hard to actually bring back down. So yeah. Um, and now we, we don't serve everyone that that extra hot chutney. Um, it's it, it's not for everyone. I I personally like my curries quite mild. Actually, I like to taste the food and not the heat. Okay. Yes. I um I, I the problem with the Scotch bonnet was that it starts off quite innocuous and then builds up to a to a heat quite quickly, doesn't it? That's the challenge. Absolutely, it can be painful. Um, I don't think I've ever been that shade of red. <laughs> just just ever. That's so funny. <laughs> but the, the the curry the 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 apart from the super hot one, your other curries were amazing. Thank you for feeding us that day and we we really appreciate it one thing before we get to the interview that i need to mention and i mentioned it on last uh, last episode as well um trev robinson friend of the show uh supporter morning, dude. of morning dudes um <laughs> he's he's raising money for st francis at the minute he's an amazing photographer some of his nature of photography is incredible he's um in havering uh, where we live he's going around and um uh, doing doorstep family portraits uh, with a proportion of the money going to St Francis. So please, uh, we'll put something on the show notes below when we put this out, and we'll put a link to Trev. Um, uh, the Facebook page, I think it's called Fit in a Flash, but Trev can correct us if it's not, because I know he's watching. Um, he if is, you yeah. can, please make sure that you support both Trev and St Francis Hospice, because... Um, He's a bit of a dude, isn't he? He's a, he's a dude. Bit of an all right dude. <laughs> he's a bit of a dude, so please, uh, please do that. Um, Vaz, um, we've invited you on to tell us about the amazing work you do, um, uh, but before we start talking about the work, tell us a bit about you. Um, I, I, I work and volunteer and support uh, generally within the health, mental health and the well-being um, arena, very broad umbrella. So around safeguarding, training mental health first aid, and uh, right now I'm working for an amazing organisation called Bridge Renewal Trust, and we're working with the community and the voluntary sector, um, directly involved with the COVID-19 response around health, well-being, and, and supporting the not-for-profit sector in its response to the current pandemic. 
So um, I'm a very busy woman at the moment, but, but also I feel um, that there's, there's an incredible amount of good work that's happening, um, and also incredible acts of kindness. So yeah. I find that within the Paul Project and in my, my day job and volunteering, that there's, there's this thread that, that runs through um, around people being the best that they can be. Um, it's wonderful to see. Yeah, I, I, 100%. I think in times of adversity, sometimes we show our best sides, don't we? Yes. Um, we've got... Um, it's interesting. So the, next week, we've got... I think it's Thursday. We've got a guest coming on from the Havering um, uh, Voluntary Sector, the lady who's, who's organising in Havering all of the um, COVID-19 response for volunteers. And there's there's thousands of people that stepped up and asked for help is that your experience in the in, in, in the wider space and where geographically where are you supporting at the minute I, uh, we, we've actually, uh, I understand what you're saying about the volunteers. There's been a huge response to people stepping, stepping up to volunteer, uh, both at the NHS and within the community and various faith-based organisations as well. So, you know, we've got a lot of people who set up food banks who are making welfare calls over the phone to their congregations and their community members. We've got a lot of people who are reaching out over the phone with helplines and phone lines, deliveries for vital Supplies. Yeah. So, yeah, there are efforts really across the piece, and, and the vast majority of them are, are actually being, being um, delivered through the kindness of volunteers. Yeah. And how are you helping people protect their own mental health at the minute? Because I'd imagine that it's quite a tough time for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. I think one, one of the, the main things around protecting one's own mental health, I mean, we look at issues around resilience, but also getting the perspective because these, these difficult days aren't going to last forever. Yeah. And sometimes I think that the idea of hope and that you know change will come and things will get better. Sometimes hope, companionship, actually reaching out um, to friendships uh, and checking on people can, can really help maintain good mental health. Um, maintaining regular um, routines for the day, waking up, going to sleep, at regular times, not having too much news at any point, with, with doom and gloom all the time, um, a good diet, exercise, doing things that are fun, learning new things, learning new activities and exercises in parts of the brain, singing, dancing. I can imagine you two do quite a lot of that in your spare time. You're very happy. Um, but yeah, generally, all of those things around um, maintaining good mental health that, that we would do ordinarily in Good. Yeah, well, um, I mean, you they're, they're the same things that apply. Yeah, good, I mean, good, good, good diet, nutrition, exercise, fresh air, companionship, uh, new learning, excitement, interest, sleeping yes. So, yeah, all of those things combined can really make for a, a more hopeful and optimistic outlook. Yeah. And that can be one of, the, I think, one of the strongest sort of panaceas to, to maintaining good mental health yeah 100% I mean I, I clearly I mean singing and dancing we we do do which is great for our own mental health not so good for the neighbours <laughs> if I'm honest um, I mean we, we had the karaoke machine out last night nothing better than James karaoke yeah I mean we do we do love a we do love a bit of karaoke what was you singing last night um 
punk rocker, fast car, ironic. <laughs> is, it, is it ironic that it's good for our mental health but not good for our neighbours? I don't know. Um, uh, so you've come on to tell us about the amazing work. I know you do amazing work in the local community, but you also, you've also got a project that you've run for a number of years now. Tell us a bit about that. Well, well, we, 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 we work, work a project, project up in the high Himalayas it's called Naba Bali, which essentially means lentils, rice and water. Um, um, we're, we're a volunteering, uh, we're a direct action volunteering initiative. Um, so so we're, uh, none of us are paid, we're all volunteers, and all the resources we raise go straight to the ground in supporting um, vulnerable elderly people, often with complex needs and disabilities, um, people who don't have children or other means of support, because in, in the Himalaya there is no such thing as as welfare. Um, we also support around resources, medication, medical testing, but also we support single moms bringing up children on their own. They might have lost their partners to the mountain or to disease. Um, and as, as you might know, Nepal has had its, its more than its share of um, a disaster and natural disaster over the last few decades. Um, it's, it's, it's been affected by a number of um, very difficult times around earthquakes, various epidemics, um, political unrest. Um, it's, it's one of the poorest countries in the world, and we find that the work that we do there, where it's supported by local people in the communities in the High Himalaya, the Sherpa community, we actually find that with their support and with the support of the, our volunteers here, uh, we're able to actually make this project work very well together. Um, Every cog in this wheel works together. The project couldn't work without our volunteers on the ground in Nepal, um, without our volunteers here, and without fundraising efforts. Um, because nobody is remunerated, nobody gets paid. Yeah. And, and what would to, how did the, your connection with the higher Himalayas and Nepal start? Um, it started about 20 years ago. I, I, I like to say that those were the days when I was young and stupid and felt that I would live forever. I, I used to mountaineer. So I was on a climbing expedition um, in the Himalaya in 1997. And, and that's when I met the, the community um, up there, the porters, the Sherpas, um, and and the friendships grew and and they continued and I I carried on visiting and with every trip different things would present different issues would present and I'd be asking questions about you know what people were eating and how they managed to get food to those altitudes and what happened when you became ill uh, what were the rights of women how did children go to school and get an education what happened to older people or people with disabilities uh, what happened to people with mental health issues. So uh, lots of questions I had as, as I was visiting and revisiting, and every time there were questions, um, there appeared to be certain needs identified that we could actually do something 
about. Yeah. We'd never be able to dress all of it, but we I found that together we could find ways of chipping away at a solution that could make a difference to the lives of people. Um, so the, the project evolved organically, really, based on the needs on the ground and responsive in a really collective way. Um, so yes, every year the project looks a little bit different. Yeah, and continues to evolve over time, right? I mean, how, what's happening in that part of the world in in the current situation? Have you have you heard from anybody over there while you've been in lockdown? Absolutely, I, I hear on a regular basis about five times a week. So I get a series of videos. I, I have conversations on Viber. I get uh, photos sent through. Essentially, the country is in lockdown. The banks are open only a few hours a day. Um, contact has been limited in Kathmandu quite severely. But up in the mountains, all tourism has stopped. So there is no income for porters, sherpas, families. Um, there's no income whatsoever. And where there's no income, there's no money to buy food. Yeah. And the other thing that's also happened, compounding the lockdown in Himalaya, is that they've had some really strange unseasonal weather. So we've had a series of, of snowstorms uh, at a time when it should be spring. It should be the time of planting potatoes um, so that we've got a harvest for later in the summer. Uh, for, for eating through the winter but unfortunately what with the snowstorms the ground's still solid so the, the potato planting and the, the pak choy and the onions all of that planting has been delayed because the ground's still solid yeah. which okay. is going to compound issues further I think in terms of food going forward and, and just access to basic staple uh, nutrition so the work that you do over the next few months and years is going to be increasingly important, right? Mm. Absolutely. I mean, we, we have been very, very fortunate. Um, the situation is, is dire. The circumstances are, are incredibly um, affecting and, and, and uh, disturbing. But, I mean, our view generally is that the outcomes don't need to be. Yeah. And the people that we have based in the Himalaya have been, have been mobilised, as have the community here. And we've actually rolled out the project um, within COVID. So even though the circumstances of lockdown have presented, our project continues to, to deliver. In what um, way? So and what it has way? delivered, I think, magnificently over the last four weeks. Um, so much so that it's actually reached over 100 people, supported over 100 people. It's distributed resources, food, money, blankets, and it's done all of that through snowstorms and lockdown, which, which is formidable. Um, yeah. I, I am I'm amazed at the efforts that people have made to make this happen. You can't stop like sort of human will sometimes can you it's like especially especially super resilient people trying to get stuff done it's it's quite a powerful Abs absolutely I, I think where there's a will the, the human condition will find a way as a species we're very very resilient and if we put our mind to something and a collective people a group of people come together there's, there's not a lot that isn't possible look you're a, certainly a testament to that so thank you for the work you do tell Tell me a story which best reflects the work you do. What story are you most proud of? I think one of I think I think it's a 
I think it's the connectedness, the, the, the story, I think, of the, the, the Buddhist monks, I think, comes to mind, because the Buddhist monks, we work with about 16 localities, we work with 16 villages across six localities, and some of these communities are very dispersed in, in very harsh mountainous terrain. And we have people who are very, very vulnerable um, and often have mobility issues. And there are no roads where we are. So we have this informal infrastructure that works beautifully. We have these monks from about six different monasteries who on their travels will identify people and let us know where the most vulnerable people are. Because oftentimes, the ones who are the quietest are the ones most in need, and you, you don't see them. So they actually become our couriers almost. So I think combined with prayer, hope, faith, um, we have these couriers that, that relay messages and money and resources and recruit to the program. Um, and in the main, most of our monks are actually hereditary monks um, or generational monks. So they, they live very quiet lives in solitude. But for this project over the years, we've managed to win over um, the, the, the priests, the, the monks and the nuns actually, to work on this project. So the, the stories they tell us individually when we sit together are, are very heartwarming. Um, and some of them are actually very, very funny. What's the funniest story you've heard from a monk? That wasn't a question I was expecting to, to ask today, but I feel the need to ask it. <laughs> the funniest story, I, I think the funniest story is the jig that we got recently. I, I received a video only this morning. Um, and and I'm, I'm sorry I couldn't send it to you, it was very short notice. But we actually had one of our, our older recipients come into a, a guest house to receive her blanket and her, her resources for food. And she actually came into the room dancing a jig Amazing. and singing. Amazing. So her legs and her arms were akimbo. <laughs> um, yeah, the singing happened. It was hilarious to watch it. Love it was it. it was something out of a comic sketch. It was wonderful. But I think the joy, the only way she could describe how joyful she was feeling was to was to dance this sketch. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it had everyone in the room laughing. It, and, and, and it was a joy to watch on the video this morning. Funny enough, that reminded me of Charlotte yesterday when she was in the karaoke. Um, uh, the, Not tonight. Um, have you got a question? <laughs> Um, so, how do you raise money for these efforts? Uh, we raise money through uh, various very, very committed volunteers. So, we, uh, at CityWire, where you came for lunch, um, Chris, we, we actually organise lunches where we feed um, the, the staffing cohort. And with the, the funds they, they provide for their lunches, we put those directly 100% towards feeding others in the Himalaya. We have young people making Christmas cards, which we sell. Um, we have donations coming in from communities who put aside their hairdressing tips or their pocket money. So, um, you know, our resources can come from young people as, as little as five and six, raising funds, baking cakes and selling them, uh, or come from people as, as old as being in their 90s. Yeah. Um, we also are supported through the Seneca Trust and 
the, the, the City Wire organisation in, in Vauxhall, um, and they supported us in, in recent years um, to actually be able to upscale some of our efforts. So this year, we were actually able to helicopter in 100 blankets from Kathmandu into the mountains um, and distribute them, work that we would not have been able to do had it not been for the additional resource. So I'm, I'm grateful to all of our volunteers and, and our funders, large and small, um, for, for everything they do, because without them, we couldn't move on this project yeah. at all. It, it goes back to the point you raise about that collective action doesn't it like when we get together and set a mind to it you know you can achieve quite a lot oh absolutely and also a little bit of a little bit of work and a little bit of resource can be made to impact in a very meaningful and long-term way um, i've come to find that we've been able to use money in, in a way that can make a huge amount of sustainable difference on the ground, where the elderly, um, the, the economics, the income, as well as the health, the mental health improve, and also access to education and learning for young people, the, the issues around inclusion, and actually having a community move forward together. Yeah. Um, in terms of well-being, I, I find that if you can think through the intervention in a holistic way and join up those areas, you know, a small amount of money can be meaningful and impacting across the piece. Yeah. I remember speaking to you before when we interviewed you for the uh, audio-only version of the Kindness Project, and one of the important things we talked about was the fact that it... Part of what you do is including, like, in, making sure you include people on the ground mm. to deliver what you deliver. Absolutely, we 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 we've always done that. Uh, we've never worked in isolation. We've never worked. We've never called ourselves an NGO. We don't parachute in a solution. Um, it doesn't work. I, I don't have a, a huge deal of regard for that approach. I think that if local people are involved in identifying needs, involved in um, working through how best to uh, implement potential solutions, and then involved in delivering, rolling out the actions that affect that change, that sense of ownership in the local community is, is heightened. We all own the project. The, yeah. the issues affect all of us. We're all a part of that solution. And I think that that ownership actually buys in so much more goodwill. And it also builds into the project a strength that says it can carry on from one year to the next. Um, th th there is no politicising in anything that we do. We, we, don't, we don't work with ministers, we don't work with these policies. The closest thing we have a policy to the work that we do is, is a safeguarding policy um, and, and one that actually involves moving through the mountains safely, having regard and respect for the local community and the local culture. Amazing. Now you've sent us some videos. Now, just just a word of warning. This is we've tested this. The videos work, Charlotte, don't they? They work. They work. Um, and we're going to show your videos now. So whilst we do that, I want you to just tell us a little bit about what's going on in these videos. While I move my head out the way, yeah, because I think it goes over the video. So I'm, I'm just going to move over this one. 
Well, I, I can't see the video, Chris, so I'm relying on your so, description so of what you're seeing. The, the videos are um, um, some packages. So this is like a little game, isn't it? Some packages and people um, wrapping up blankets by the look, looks okay. of it. So tell, so, it, tell so, us so what's going on. So basically, that video, uh, we actually got a, a cargo helicopter to deliver between snowstorms um, 100 heavy-duty blankets that were purchased in Kathmandu. Uh, they landed in a place called Senvoche, and they were carried on people's backs to um, the guest house in Kyangjuma. And there the blankets were sorted and individually wrapped because they were going to be carried on people's backs to each of the locations that we support. Yeah. So they were then going to be carried en masse on, on people's backs because there are no roads yeah. to uh, Tame, Tamo, Kiaro, to places like uh, Podse. Kumjung Kunde and Upper and Lower Pangboche. So all of those areas in the Kumbu Valley and in the valleys across from the Kumbu, these these blankets would have been carried on people's backs to physically deliver them to the different locations up and down mountains to altitudes of between twelve and fourteen thousand. And we we also saw a video of some people out in the um, in in the mountains in the snow. Is that the weather now? Is that the weather currently? That's the weather currently. The temperature in Nunchi Bazaar last night was minus 11. Um, they had a flurry of snow yesterday and the day before. So, absolutely, it, it is current. They've had snow on and off for months now. And, yeah. and like I say, it's very unseasonal. It's, I mean, we put it down to global warming um, because right now it should be spring and it should be planting potato time. Amazing. Um, so, yeah, yeah they're, they're all working in the snow, blizzard conditions and temperatures sometimes of up to minus 17 in, at night time. There are some huge smiles on the faces of the people who are working as well. So it's you know, looking at what we're going through at the minute with all our creature comforts. If you can stay positive in that sort of environment then surely uh, surely we can too right and potentially support well, the amazing work I, I, you're doing. I think the value of let, let, let's bring home the value of a blanket um, the value of a blanket at high altitude in those temperatures is the difference between life and death and, and it's not just the value of the purchase of the blanket because the blanket has to be purchased in Kathmandu and somehow it has to be transported with additional cost and then it has to be transported on foot to each locality. So you could have a blanket that actually has a monetary value of five pounds. By the time you've added transport with helicopter and porterage, it could be worth 25 pounds. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but, but as you say, uh, how can you put a price on somebody's life? Absolutely. And, and the blankets that we've sourced this year are actually excellent. They, they are superb heavy-duty blankets. And, and all of our porters were also given a blanket this year as well, um, for the simple reason that they were doing all the porterage in those temperatures with snow on the ground, uh, with heavy weights on their backs, and knowing that the economy is slowing what with tourism down, we wanted to ensure that the porters were remunerated this year fairly uh, with as many days as we could offer by way of work and also given a blanket to take back to their homes at the end of, of, of their shifts um, yeah. with this particular piece of work. So we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to spread the love as far as we can in practical and, and meaningful ways.
Right, so where can people find more about out about you and your organisation? Um, my email address, I think you already have, Chris, and my telephone number. So, you know, if, if anybody has, has, had, has any interest in finding out more about the work that we do, I would, I would like to share the story and, and forward on various reports or, or to give more detail about how people might be able to support us either through funds or with voluntary effort or with any ideas in terms of um, fundraising that we could do in the future to be able to work forward. We're always on the lookout for skills. Okay, amazing. I've got somebody that I'm going to introduce you to, so expect an email from me directly uh, uh, as soon as we're done, because I think this uh, particular lady um, uh, shares certain values and certain um, hopes, so I'll, I'll make that introduction for you. Um, uh, and we'll put details on the show notes mm -hmm. yep. of your organisation, Vaz, so uh, other people can help. That's lovely, Chris. Thank you very much. No worries. And, and can I just say, we've got, in our, I, I've been, you've probably been doing the same. I've been doing loads and loads of Zoom meetings and video meetings. And I'm, I, like our background's a picture of you and Sophie, isn't it? A, a photo of you and Sophie. I've seen so many bookshelves over the past couple of weeks because people have got uh, bookshelves in their background. I've never seen Excuse me, I'm getting, I don't know what happened there. I've never seen a bush. So thank you for including a, is that a bush or is that a tree? There's like a bunch of trees. Is that a bunch of trees? It's, so, it's, it's a bunch of trees, Chris. And hey. if you look carefully, you might be able to see the Tibetan prayer flags there as well. Oh, amazing, we like it. Cheer myself up. Yeah, it's really good. So what I'm going to do is share some of the answers we've had for... Uh, what do you know? I think it was a bush? I don't know. Well, um, some of the answers we've had for <laughs> question of the podcast, um, which was, what's your favourite memory of your grandparents? Daniel, and I love these. I just absolutely love these. Daniel Sewell said, when I was little, I used to have sleepovers all over... Uh, uh, my nan and granddad's all, all over the place um, all the time. Every morning, my Nan will wake me up asking if I want asking if I wanted tea in bed. Nan and grand, Granddad would return about ten minutes later, and Granddad would always sneak tea biscuits upstairs in his dressing gown pocket. We'd all get back into bed together to drink our morning tea, and literally every time Nan and Granddad would have a jokey argument about the tea biscuits and that and the fact that it wasn't a suitable breakfast <laughs> i love that absolutely love that um bit cheesy but that's what parents and grandparents do and i know just just one thing i want to raise on a previous version of the kindness project somebody compared me because i am this cheesy to ali g right i uh, uh, you don't know who ali g is i'm more david brent thank you um, commenter, um, Tamsin Gates, my grandparents. You need to Google Ali G. Uh, Tamsin Gates said, My parents lived in a tiny village in South Wales when I was a child. I always used to go with my grandpa to walk the dog, and my grandma would tell us not to pick the blackberries because they'd stain my grandpa's coat. Would we return with bulging pockets full? I like that. A bit of rebellion. We like that. Alan Kaz has kept it simple. What he remembers about, about his grandparents is sherbet lemons. Um, and 
producer of the show, Russell Davies, has commented with uh, my dad's nan, uh, and I'm sure we're not alone on this, had a larder, right? They had a, a cupboard, and basically it was full of wagon wheels. <laughs> um, so every time we used to go round there, um, we used to knock on the door, and it was, um, it was the door was open, and it was like, come come with me, we're going into the cupboard and we used to have like a Twix and a wagon wheel and stuff <laughs> like that um, and uh, my other man used to do a mean omelette which is which is where I get my love of omelettes from I think Alice Joy said my grandma let me make mixtures in the kitchen concoctions of flour and porridge etc it must have been a bloody nightmare to clean up after but I had such fun and she never complained uh, Tracy Dame said uh, I remember going to my nan and granddad's house House, sitting by the coal fire and my nan would tell me beautiful stories about two little girls who lived in the garden but it was a beautiful place she never read it for, from a book and she always made it up from her own imagination Heidi Ball said uh, mum's mum was babysitting one night I had a cabin bed she came to check on me and was in a blind pack panic uh, because she couldn't find me because I was hiding um, Steve Dan said playing cards with my granddad for pennies he would always let me win and if he was ever ill he, he always used to drink a tot of Scott's Mac his cure for everything Trevor Robinson said going on holiday in the Isle of Wight for many years such special times and Roberta White said my dad's mum and her Sunday dinners were heaven my mum's dad coming home with a um, great string of fish that had been caught that day at sea. Um, and then uh, on Twitter, um, we've got a few of these. Uh, Rich Ellis said, my granddad used to have a shed with a collection of old children's bikes that had been thrown away. When we used to go around there, we used to ride the bikes. <laughs> um, Charlie said, my grandfather offering me a penny for every width of the pool I did to get me swimming. And to his horror, me spending several hours going back and forth. <laughs> That's an amazing story. I mean, like, just, just the motivation of that penny a width kept him going. Um, and my grandmother flashing Prince Charles in protest, in protest of him divorcing Diana. Um, um, uh, the time my grandmother told me I would never get married because I'm fat. And guess what? I got married fat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thank you for that one. And uh, uh, the other one, at no non-person said, Gran fed me Cornish pasties, pasties, which she got hot from the bakers and kept warm till dinner on the hearth. I swear they tasted of coal, but they were marvellous. Um, I love a good Cornish I love a good Cornish pasty. Before we go, Baz, right, I just want to, because um, we tasted your food and it's amazing. What is the best curry you've ever had? Oh, gosh, now that's a tough question. What is the best curry I've ever had? Um, okay, South India, in Kerala. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a curry, it's, it's a type of a thorn which means it's a type of dry curry and it's it's dry and it's almost so fried but it's made out of baby jackfruit okay and it takes about a day to prepare and it is divine amazing we'll we'll look that up do you remember what it was called it's called chakatoran I'm not going to pronounce that because I'm known to butcher. Um, but it even, is beautiful. I think I think South Indian cuisine is gorgeous. Yeah, well, I, I think it's all that coconut milk oh. and uh, yeah. 
Sri Lanka. I mean, I've never been to South India, but we were in Sri Lanka a few years ago, and it was an amazing place. So I, I, I 100% agree. Um, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate you coming on and spending the time. And uh, for everybody who's watching or listening again, um, have a lovely day today. Um, if you're watching live, have a lovely VE day. Um, and we will see you next time on the Kindness Always Project. Forgetting something. Thank you very much. Hold on, hold, hold on, Vaz. We've got to finish, as we are now apparently a comedy podcast, we now need to finish on Charlotte's joke of the day. Prepare to be surprised. Love it. But not, not pleased surprised because it's not like a joke. <laughs> Go for it. Some people have trouble sleeping. I can do it with my eyes closed. <laughs> Vaz, I did, I did hear a slight laugh there. Please don't, please don't do that. It encourages us. You, you've got a shaking of the head. It's one of those knock knocks, you know. <laughs> and on that note, now I'll get worse. Have a lovely day, and we'll see you next time on the Kindness Project. Bye. Bye.